Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Kappa, oh my goodness, corrective action, preventive action, continues to be, I think, an area where, honestly, we as an industry can do a much better job of managing these systemic issues and, frankly, be much more proactive rather than reacting to situations. Mike Drews and I dive into some of the details on Kappa, or should I say PACA, and you'll have to listen to uh, understand what I mean when I say PACA, but enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory, John Spear. I was talking with Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences the other day, and yeah, he's joining me on today's episode, but we were catching up a little bit, and one of the things that that I mentioned to him is, you know, it seems like Kappa is this topic that is really important, and we've touched on it briefly a time or two, but it's been a while, and I think it's one of those evergreen topics that is important for us as a, a medical device professionals as, and as an industry to, to make sure we've got our finger on the pulse of what's going on. And we'll dive into some of the details uh, here in a moment. But Mike, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. And I agree 100% that Kappa is one of these evergreen topics, and we should definitely dig into it a little bit further. So I know that there are a lot of very savvy, very experienced medical device professionals in our audience, John. But I also know that some folks are relatively new and might not be familiar with the corrective action, preventative action, or CAPA process. So maybe just a real quick primer, John, for our audience on what is CAPA. Absolutely. So folks, CAPA is an acronym, C-A-P-A, corrective action, and preventive action. From a regulatory perspective, if you're looking from an FDA standpoint, all the, the, the regulations are theoretically defined in 20, FDA 21 CFR 820.100. It's not a lot of stuff there, frankly. If you print it out, it, it might cover half a page printed. It's a little bit more expansive, but not a whole heck of a lot. If you were referring to ISO 13485 2016 version, this is covered... Actually, it splits up corrective action and preventive action into two different clauses. Reference there is 8.5.2 for corrective action and 8.5.3 for preventive action. But in layman's terms, CAPA is all about assessing and evaluating a systemic issue that you need to correct or prevent from happening. Correction is is probably the more common of the approaches because we we the event has, or the series of events have already happened and now we have to correct them from happening again. Whereas the more proactive side of this would be to take some preventive action to see or to identify trends before they become trends. Uh, you know, maybe as you might have heard Mike and I talk about this in the past, being able to predict issues before they, they uh, spin out of control. So, you know, make, making informed decisions after a couple of occurrences rather than, you know, 10 or 15 occurrences. So that's sort of the, the gist of CAPA is uh, a means to uh, formally investigate an issue that's deemed as systemic or a big deal within your company and properly take actions to prevent this from being happening again. 
I'm sure I you... think, John, that's a terrific synopsis of Kappa, and we'll dig into this in, in much more detail as we continue here. But I agree with you, John, that uh, by calling this Kappa corrective action, preventative action, it is the classic retrospective approach. In other words, solving problems after the problems have occurred. What I think, and I've made the suggestion before, we should not call this Kappa. Instead, we should call it PACA, preventive action, corrective action, because the emphasis should be on the prevention, not on the, on the correction. But you mentioned in your, in your uh, synopsis, John, you, you gave us a lot of sources to, um, to specific regulation, and we can provide on the website links to those sources. But you also said that this is where this is theoretically defined. I'm just curious, John. I think I know what you mean by that, but what do you, for the benefit of the others in our audience, what did you mean by just where the regulation is theoretically defined? Well, I've, if you go to 820-100 and, and the FDA website, I didn't do a word count there, but seriously, it is less than a half a page of information if you were to print it out or to look at it. I mean, it's not a lot of words that are there. And there's certainly not a lot of details, and and it's not super prescriptive. It's more ideas or more that you know the thou shalt type of statements. There's a lot that is left up to interpretation, so to speak. And you know, historically, companies uh, I think they struggle with kappa, and I don't know if they struggle because of the words that are there, or the words that are not there, or their interpretation <laughs> of, of 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 what's there. But nonetheless, I mean, there's a lot of details uh, when it comes to cap. A lot of of areas where companies are really struggling with this, and uh, and I think you know the data doesn't lie. If we were to look at the FDA inspectional data, the FDA every year they publish where companies are struggling with respect to 43 observations and warning letters and so on. And, and you know, CAPA is almost always either at or very near the top of the list of topics where companies are struggling, you know? And so I think there's something there that we're missing as an industry from that perspective. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit more, John, in terms of uh, why, as you point out, and you're exactly right, that so many companies struggle with this. You made an interesting comment a moment ago that this part of the regulation is only half a page or so long. Well, my question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I view it similar to you know the, the preamble to the to the uh, quality management system on FDA's website and the design controls. These are purposely written to be very nonspecific, very nebulous, very vague, because the medical device industry is a very broad industry. And, you know, a CAPA procedure for a company making Band-Aids may be very different than that for making artificial hearts, right? So it's specifically written, in my opinion, to give us a lot of flexibility to use our own professional judgment based on, you know, our particular technologies, our particular devices. Do you think, John, that that is a good thing or a bad thing? As uh, a good regulatory or quality professional uh, will often answer question, uh, it depends. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's challenging. I mean, like I said, that the, if the data is an indicator of of future results, then one could say that it's a bad thing because you know, for whatever reason, we as an industry, uh, there's something we're missing, and you know, and it might be that earlier point that that we. Um, we chatted briefly about just a few minutes ago about, you know, should it be CAP or should it be PACA? You know, should we focus on the correction or should we focus on the prevention? You know, that, that all by itself could be the challenge is that we're, 
we're a reactive. It seems like we're very reactive as an as an industry. We're waiting for the event to happen before we do something about it. And you know, maybe that's the the problem all by itself. Maybe the Kappa process, if we just flipped it and and had our focus be more on the proactive, the preventive side, maybe we would fix all of our problems all by themselves if we just did that. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a bit uh, altruistic, I suppose, but but maybe there's there's some weight in that too. Or taking it one step further, John, you made an interesting comment, you know, that maybe something is missing here. Well, my, my question, and perhaps I'll leave this as a rhetorical question, is why is it that we in industry or a particular company are missing something that FDA is not? You know, to me, that's very problematic because to me, that would imply that the FDA knows something that I don't know. And if that's the case, then quite frankly, I'm not doing my job. So yeah. something to, to think about. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, yeah, there's truth to that, I suppose. I mean, but if you look at the um, uh, and, and the data, it's, it's semi-fascinating, I, I think, at least from my lens of looking at it, because, you know, what it often points out is that with if you start to drill into capital, what are the problems? Uh, usually the, the bigger uh, topics that are identified are um, something about the company's procedures, you know, and, and anytime there is a a citation for a 43 or a warning letter, they're, they're pointing, the, the inspector will point out the specific clause of the regulation that it pertains to. But, but I don't think that tells a very good story, you know, just because, you know, 820.100A, uh, that has to do with procedures around CAPA, just because that is the number one citation for CAPA, is, it doesn't really tell the whole story. I mean, so for me, I want to understand, well, what is it about that process? Are, do, do companies not have processes defined or, or do they have processes defined and they're not following them? Or is there some other nuance or detail that, that uh, is sort of buried uh, and not necessarily uh, prevalent in the data, you know? I do. And actually, maybe if it'll help, John, let me share with you a quick story from my world to illustrate. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But a couple of years ago, I worked with a company that got a number of 483s. This is a fairly large uh, medical device company. And one of the um, solutions uh, that resulted from the kappa that, that, uh, that was generated from these was increased training. Training is a is a as you know is a is a common solution for uh, a lot of problems. In this particular case, it was because not enough people in the company were knowledgeable of the design controls of the design control process. So, as part of the solution that the company proposed to the FDA, they said, "All right, we're going to train all of our R and D engineers and manufacturing engineers uh, better on design controls." And they invited me to come in and do a series of workshops. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, these these training sessions were quote unquote required for all R&D and manufacturing engineers to attend. In reality, about 50% of the people showed up. So what I learned from that was maybe mandatory has different meanings to different people. <laughs> That's learning number one. And learning number two, the training involved essentially a one hour overview of design controls. And I know, John, you're a guru when it comes to design controls. Just imagine trying to teach somebody everything there is to know about design controls in one hour. It's not an easy thing to do. I would argue no. it's probably impossible. And I had people coming out of the room 
telling me, they would, I'm sure, never admit this to their senior management and never say publicly. This was nothing more than the company just ticking a box on the form saying, okay, we got these 483s, we got to do more training. I attended the training and now the problem is done. The problem is solved. I don't know about you, John. Does that seem like a good solution? Uh, no, it doesn't. And and I, I would say that that is um, more times than not, unfortunately, I've seen it the same sort of scenario many, many times. And I think this is, I think we're starting to get to maybe some of the reasons why Kappa is, or, or PACA, um, however we refer to it the rest of this podcast, uh, is, um, is a challenge for companies because it is, uh, it seems like an, an exercise in hand waving more times than not, unfortunately. You know, we, oh, it's escalated, it's elevated as a Kappa, that way it's more serious and that sort of thing. But the the actions, the behaviors, you know, the the formal investigation, the drilling down to identify the root cause, uh, I think misses the mark, you know. And and you know, to to say that in your example that you could do an hour long course on design control and voila, people are trained. That that's just that's not an effective means to, to address that particular issue. And yet, I won't mention which one, but this was a major medical device company. Okay, let's dig into this a, a little bit further. One of the things I've heard you say before, John, is that the Kappa system of a company is an indicator, a biomarker, if you will, of the health of the overall company's quality management system. And I think that's a very intriguing observation. I wonder if you can explain what you mean by that for the audience, that the Kappa system is an indicator of the health of the company's QMS. Yeah, and I don't know that I can claim the full credit for this. I know there's it's a pretty good document, and I'll provide a link to this as well. But the uh, Global Harmonization Task Force, it's now known as IMDRF. I won't get into that, but they uh, back quite some years ago actually published a guidance document on uh, corrective action and preventive action. In fact, I think it's it's kind of funny, and that this guidance document. Uh, they even uh, specify the ter- the acronym Kappa will not be used in this document because the concept of corrective action and preventive action has been incorrectly interpreted to assume that a preventive action is required for every corrective action and, and so on and so forth. But I believe that it's this document, I think it might also be the uh, the FDA QCIT and the uh, Quality System Inspection Technique Guidance talks about Kappa being, you know, the sort of the, the the health of, of your quality system. And and I think that the reason that that's somewhat interesting is, you know, again, if you think about Kappa or corrective action and preventive action as being reserved for systemic issues, sort of big ticket issues, then, you know, if you have a lot of those, then that could say there's something that's not effective about the underlying processes and procedures that you have in place from a, from a quality management system. Uh, conversely, just because you don't have a lot of them, um, don't be lulled into believing that, that there aren't other quality system issues. You know, as, as they say, the devil is certainly in the details and you'd want to interrogate uh, your kappas uh, or lack thereof a little bit further to tell the true, true story. But this is certainly, if you go through any FDA inspection or you go through any ISO audit, Kappa, your Kappa process will be evaluated. You know, certain records will be part of that audit or that inspection, and and the auditor, or the inspector will they will follow the thread, so to speak. They will see all the the corresponding and correlating and and related items and how they're connected to other quality events or other things that you're doing within your business. So, you know, it is um, it is the place. That almost every single audit or inspection from a quality management system perspective, it's almost always the starting point or it's, it's, 
it's going to be evaluated. Well, again, John, I could not agree with you more, and you just gave some great examples of trying to interpret that regulation a moment ago. If I can be even more brutally honest, I think that the root cause of why this is so difficult is because many of these guidances, both here in the United States as well as in other parts of the world, are written by people quite frankly, who have never developed a medical device or manufactured a medical device themselves. And this is indicative of a whole other set of problems, but it's like if you needed surgery, would you want it to be done by somebody who's never done surgery before but has read about it in a textbook? That's a problem across regulatory and quality you know, across the board. But uh, let's move on because there's two more pieces that I think are very important for our audience to, to hear um, to make this as pragmatic, as actionable as possible. We've talked about some of the reasons why many companies struggle with CAPA and the CAPA process. Are there other reasons, John, that you would add to that list of why so many companies have such a difficult time with this? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of things that come to mind. Um, I think, first of all, when we look at um, our CAPA process, uh, oftentimes we will assign a KPI or some sort of metric or maybe multiple metrics to determine, quote, effectiveness of the CAPA process. And I think sometimes we're measuring the wrong things. Um, I, I think sometimes we are so timeline sensitive that oftentimes that we will put a time constraint or, or a, a threshold as a target for uh, when we should be done with a CAPA. Uh, you know, and some companies will say, you know, CAPAs need to be done within 90 days or they'll, they'll, they'll assign some sort of arbitrary time constraint to that. I think that's a big problem. I think that's one problem. And on, on, uh, on one hand, I'm not a fan of absolutes of having, you know, 30 days or 90 days or, you know, 180 days or whatever. But, uh, it, you know, it depends on the situation, the severity and so on. But on the other hand, we don't want things lingering on the vine, so to yeah. speak, for a, too long of a period of time. Okay, so the time concern is one. Any, any other reasons why you think companies struggle with this? I do think of another thing that comes to mind and, and then I'm going to, I have a tip that maybe can combine the time constraint and, and this other item. And then I'll offer that here in a moment. But I think the other thing is that we're doing a really poor job of, of root cause determination. Um, I think you, I would encourage you all to, to do a deep dive, maybe issue. It sounds a little flip, but, but I mean this with seriousness too that you should probably do a CAPA on your CAPA process, uh, probably at least annually, uh, and, and, uh, and interrogate those, those records. But the root cause, I mean, I would question whether or not we're truly getting to the real root cause. And, you know, and I'm going to confess, earlier on in my career, I, was a, a, I did a poor job of managing CAPAs because a lot of times when we get to the root cause, it's almost it's a really bad habit. But a lot of companies, they still do this where they will almost restate the problem whenever they identify the root cause. A root cause done properly should be some sort of analysis or some sort of, should be a, a deploying or a, using some sort of methodology to get there. And, and there's no one size fits all, but there's a lot of good tools that are out there. Cause and effect, and fishbone diagrams or Ishikawa diagrams. Uh, you can do five whys. Sometimes you can do fault trees. Sometimes you can do failure mode. There's a lot of tools, but you should do some sort of analysis to try to drill down. My personal favorite is the five whys to determine a root cause, because and it's because it's really simple. It's really easy to to use, 
you know, anybody that's been around a three-year-old will, will understand how to use the five whys. And, and it goes like this, uh, per, you know, your three-year-old says, Hey, uh, dad, can I, can I have this? And you say, no. And what is that three-year-old going to say? Why? And that, that process is going to keep going. And so the five whys is sort of kind of similar to that. You just keep asking why, 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 until you get to something that, that you can hang your hat on as a root cause. But I think, again, to kind of wrap that up, we don't do a very good job of, of root cause determination. And so if you do a poor job of root cause determination and you kind of slap something together and make a statement about, oh, it's this, and then you proceed to do actions and, and try to correct those things, uh, you do, the likelihood that you're going to actually address and mitigate and prevent that from happening again is is there's no certainty about that. You know, it's just like slapping a bandaid on it. Well, again, John, I could not agree more. As a matter of fact, I wish I could disagree with you about your assessment of how well as an industry we do when it comes to identifying root cause. Um, I'll be honest with you, as a biomedical engineer, I hear people talking about root cause all the time. And rarely, if ever, do they get anywhere near to what I think is the true root cause. They're usually just dancing around on the surface, you know, applying band-aids to problems. I find the root cause of many, if not most problems, and I love your your three-year-old metaphor, John, of the, explaining the, the, the five whys. I think there probably should be a heck of a lot more than just five. But I think the root cause is what's between most people's ears. What's between <laughs> most people's ears if they're thinking yeah. uh, about this whole. But, but anyway, uh, and I loved your suggestion, and this brings us to the last topic of discussion of what companies can do to try to improve, to try to prevent these problems. I love your suggestion on instituting a CAPA on our CAPA procedures to see if, in fact, you know, our CAPA procedure is as good as we think. I've made suggestions, and perhaps you and I have talked about some of these in the past, John, in terms of evaluating the efficacy of your QMS by purposely injecting a problem into the system to see if your system is capable of detecting it. So perhaps that can be thought of as a bit of a riff on the, yeah. the, uh, on the kappa on the kappa. I've also suggested oftentimes when a company identifies a problem and starts a kappa, this goes back to root cause. They're not really addressing the root cause. They're addressing the symptom. So they have kappa number one, and then they address that. And they have kappa number two, and then they address that, and kappa number three, and they address that. But one thing that I've suggested to companies is on a periodic basis, whether it's once a year or twice a year or quarterly, take a look at all of your kappas collectively and see if these are individual root causes or if they're really just you know um, iterations on the same theme. Um, I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of explaining what I mean by that, John, but what are your thoughts and what other suggestions would you have uh, for companies to improve? We're talking for our audience, we're talking about going above and beyond what is required because none of the level of detail that John and I are discussing today is in that one half page that John just alluded to earlier. So what do you think of those suggestions, John, or do you have others? No, I like those. Um, and, and to kind of build upon your you may have multiple kappas and then periodically uh, evaluating and reviewing each of the, the kappas that have been issued to see if there's any trends within those kappas. I think that's key. Um, you know, and, and it kind of gets back to that point of, you know, you may identify uh, if you're doing a good job and you identify uh, a root cause that's, that's 
you know, deeper than just addressing a symptom. Um, I think it's important to think about, okay, does this, do we have this sort of issue or this sort of root cause? Could it be prevalent in other product lines or other processes or other parts of our business? And, and if, you know, even though, you know, you might be in a situation where you're correcting or, or reacting to a situation in, in one particular kappa, there's an opportunity to be proactive or preventive and applying that sort of uh, lens at other products and processes that may have similar sorts of, of root cause uh, challenges that are, you know, maybe haven't surfaced, but could be there. And so this gives you an opportunity to, to be a little bit more proactive with that approach, for sure. The other thing I, I see a lot, uh, way too often, frankly, is that Kappas, even though, you know, we, we look at them sort of as important as far as the health of our quality system, and, you know, we have Kappa files and records and all that sort of thing, I don't think we do a very good job as an industry of appropriately uh, staffing or resourcing Kappa teams. I don't think we treat Kappas with the same importance within our organizations as, say, a new product development project or a design change or, you know, a regulatory submission. Uh, I think, you know, Kappa is, uh, I've seen it all too many times where it is the thing that uh, might have some people assigned to it, but it's the thing that never gets time. It's the thing that, that people do, you know, when they have a few extra minutes here and there. And, and so it, it doesn't get the same emphasis as far as actual resource allocation or budget, if you will, of time as maybe some of the other uh, sexier things that we do in companies. And so I think that's a problem too. It, it, it probably is more important than, and in some cases, than a product development project. It's probably more important than a regulatory submission because, again, if you think about Kappa as being an indicator of some sort of systemic issue or potential systemic issue, why would you spend more time, effort, and energy on, on staffing and making sure that resources are allocated to that appropriately? Well, I think that's a very interesting observation, John. And if I were to speculate, I would probably guess that it's, be, uh, it's because CAPAs are viewed as, re- as um, um, uh, costs of money, as a revenue spender, as opposed to developing a new product or changing an existing product would be a revenue generator. And it's so, true. you know, that's obviously, you know, um, but, 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 but nonetheless, obviously a CAPA can can cost us money in the short term, but, but, you know, we're hoping to spend this time and money to prevent even other problems in the future. So I suspect the answer to your question is that it's easier for marketing to push generation of new products and new submissions and making existing products better as opposed to trying to fix problems that have happened because maybe we didn't do our job quite as well as we should have. And this is why we're having problems to begin with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think there's some other things that, that we should evaluate that can have a opportunity to sort of improve or or um, help your kappa and maybe some of the other things. I think um, I've seen uh, a lot of companies who will, I'll, I'll just say they get a little kappa happy uh, where, you know, if they get a, <laughs> uh, for, for example, a nonconformance or a complaint or something like that. Uh, they may even have it written into their procedure that that, that automatically would generate a kappa. Um, and, and so pretty soon they overburden their kappa system. There's a lot of things that are issued as kappas and, and none of them are getting uh, the time, effort and, and energy to be done. Um, so, you know, I think just be careful of, of uh, what triggers a kappa. And, and the flip side of that is, you know, why not make sure that your complaint handling process is robust enough to handle complaints? Why not make sure your nonconformance 
process is robust enough to handle nonconformance. It, just because you have a, a quality event doesn't mean that it has to necessarily be treated as a kappa. Well, you know, I love your phrase of Kappa Happy John. Um, and uh, it reminds me of a discussion I had over dinner with one of my very good friends, um, who's the senior VP of quality and regulatory at a Fortune 100 medical device company. He and I were, were very good friends in graduate school. And we got into an interesting discussion about what is the ideal number of Kappas for uh, a particular medical device company. Um, but you're exactly right. If companies issue too many Kappas, then um, we run into the, the boy who cries wolf kind of a phenomenon. You know, people just don't pay attention. Or, the, you know, perhaps a, a more modern metaphor, imagine walking through a crowded parking lot in a shopping mall and you hear a car alarm going off. Most people today don't even pay attention because it just happens so frequently. So if we have too many kappas, then we run into that kind of a risk. On the other hand, if we don't have enough Kappas, then we run into the risk of, you know, repeating the same problems over and over again. So there's got to be a, a middle ground. And this is why I work really hard with companies, and I know you do as well, to develop criteria to determine in their particular company, given their devices and their technology, under what circumstances to open a Kappa and in what circumstances not to. And one step further, and I'll give you the, the final word on this, John, once you develop that criteria, just like a risk management plan, that's not supposed to be something that just you stick in a file and you never touch again. You know, you constantly got to be asking yourself, do I need to revise that criteria? Do I need to update that criteria? Do I need to change that criteria based on new information as it comes in? So this comes back to what you mentioned, and I'm 100% in favor of this, a kappa on your kappa. Philosophically, I think it's a very interesting idea. John, perhaps we should wrap this up by sharing what we think are the maybe the one most important takeaway message for our audience to come away with when it comes to, to kappas. What would that be? Oh, one. This one single most important thing. Um, you know, I, I think if it came down to it, frankly, it would it would be to to be more thorough with your root cause, quite frankly. Being more thorough with your root cause determination, being methodical and analytical about that will make sure that that, that particular kappa uh, is getting the right time, effort, energy, attention, uh, action plan, and so on to address that that particular issue. And then if you take it one step further, but a huge uh, opportunity for a business to improve their overall throughput and, and overall QMS efficiency would be to look at that root cause that you methodically and analytic, analytically determine and identify if there are other products, processes, or parts of your business where that particular root cause might also be buried and, and hasn't necessarily reared its ugly head yet, or maybe it has reared its ugly head, and apply that learning toward those opportunities as well. So I would say one single biggest thing, of focus on doing a bang-up, thorough job on determining your root cause. And I, and I agree wholeheartedly. Root cause is a, is a great takeaway. My takeaway, in addition, would be to be proactive not simply reactive. In other words, as we talked about at the beginning, don't think about this as a kappa, think about it as a packa. Be, be more proactive. That's where our emphasis, and I'll make one quick suggestion on how to do that. This is an idea that comes right out of the design controls, John, something that I know you're intimately familiar with, and that is let your outputs become your inputs. 
So take your existing CAPAs, your existing complaints, and feed them back into your system to see if the criteria that I mentioned a moment ago that you should set up for determining whether a CAPA should have been instituted or not, if that criteria was sufficient to generate that CAPA if it was necessary, or alternatively, not to if it was not necessary, and continue to repeat that process. Periodically, I don't want to go so far as to say that FDA should say companies should do this once a year or twice a year, whatever it is. That should be up to the company to decide based on their technology, how well-established the technology is. If the device is brand new, that's one thing. If the device has been around 20 years, that's another. But use the outputs and feed them back in as your inputs and constantly make adjustments to your um, systems, not just your, not just your CAPA system, but your entire QMS overall. So be yeah. proactive, not just reactive. So root no, cause and proactive, I think, is, a, is two great lessons to be learned. Why don't you wrap this up, John? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I like that last point that Mike shared because your quality management system, it is a it is a full ecosystem. Uh it is a closed loop system. You know, one process relates to another, relates to another. And so often I, I see companies, they, they almost treat their quality management system as a series of silos and a series of processes where quality has this and regulatory has this and engineering has that. And yeah, sure, each of these different processes may have different owners, but you have to understand the big picture and how one might be the output of one process becomes the input of the other and, and so on. And it feeds one another. And and you know, in today's world, you really need to make sure that your quality management system is architected in a way that allows that visibility of all the this interrelationship. And, you know, and this is what we've done at Greenlight Guru. We've built an EQMS platform for the medical device industry that ties all of these processes together in one single source of truth. So if you're struggling with CAPA or you want some guidance and direction on how your design and development activities should be feeding into post-market uh, activities, well, you know, go to www.greenlight.guru uh, to learn more about our EQMS software and, and how it's helping companies all over the world improve their, their throughput, uh, move beyond just compliance and focusing on true quality. Speaking of true quality, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, but did you know that we at Greenlight Guru, we recently started a brand new podcast as well. Yes, that's right. It's called MedTech True Quality Stories. And you know, for me, it's fascinating. I, I love it. I love talking to folks like Mike and other guests on the Global Medical Device Podcast. With the MedTech True Quality Stories, it's a little bit of a different lens. We're talking to med device professionals like yourself, people who have been there, done that, and, and maybe doing it right now. And they're sharing stories about you know their true quality experience, how they've embraced what a quality management system can do to help them run better businesses, but also improve patient outcomes in the process. So go check that out. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you'll be able to find MedTech True Quality Stories as well. As always, uh, appreciate you listening. Appreciate your comments. Mike and I, uh, all the time, get to hear from a lot of you about how much you, know, you enjoy the Global Medical Device Podcast. Keep the feedback and the comments and the suggestions coming. And you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.